Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. We're so glad you're here. We are, we're starting a brand new series this week called Now What? <laughs> now What? Uh, and you could ask that question in a lot of different environments, right? Anytime you've taken your car to the mechanic and they come out with that grin and that clipboard, you're like, now what? <laughs> What's it going to be now? Maybe that's just me. Anyway, so uh, there's that now what moment where you're asking that question. A lot of times we hear it at church. Now what? What do I do now? I mean, I came to Easter or I came to a service and I'm here. Now what do I do next? What's the next step? I mean, how, how do I get involved? Sometimes people ask that question. People ask, what do I do in my family? What do I do in my relationship? There's a lot of different places you could ask that question to say, now what do I do? What do I do? I mean, how, how do I make the next step my best step? How do I make sure what I'm about to do is the right thing now? What do I do? And it's built around this idea that God wants to use you now. I believe that. I believe that God wants to use all of us now, that God's placed us here for a reason. He's placed us in this community for a reason. He's placed us in the season of life that we're in for a reason. And I firmly believe that God wants to do something in us and through us, every single one of us, whether you're new here or you've been here a long time, whether you're close to him or far away, God wants to do something in you and through you now but a lot of times we miss the now. A lot of times we're preoccupied with something else. A lot of times we're, we're so focused on something or someplace else that we miss what God wants to do right now, where he's planted us, where we're at. And so this morning we're asking this question now, what do I do? Because I don't wanna miss the now. I don't wanna miss this moment. I don't wanna miss this opportunity, this season, because you only get to do today once. You only get to do this year once. The, 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 there's only once that you get to go through a season of your life. And so we don't wanna miss the now. And here's what I believe. I believe there's a lot of us that miss now because of two big things. The first one is pain from our past. I think a lot of times we have a problem focusing on now. We have a problem on staying in the now. We have a, a problem on saying, God, I want you to do something in me now because every time we begin to make progress, every time we take the next step, every time we start moving forward, it seems like something from the past comes back up some problem that we wish would just go away, some pain that we experienced that we wish wasn't there, some sin, some problem, some mistake that keeps rearing its ugly head. And so a lot of times the reason why we're not focused on the now is because of problems or pain in the past. Seems like every time we start to take that next step, something comes back up and it pulls us back. And then the second thing is not just pain from the past, but the second reason why I think so many of us don't live in the now is because we have fear of the future. I don't know if you're one of those people that, that you get anxious about the future. You get anxious about what might happen, what could happen, what should happen. And so what happens is you get so frustrated by it. You get so worked up about it. You get so anxious about it that it's impossible for you to be focused on this moment, this relationship, this season, because either pain in the past or fear of the future. And so we miss the now. And so my question is, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? 
I mean, how, how, how do you make sure you don't miss what God wants to do in you and through you? How do I make sure I don't miss that? How do we as a church make sure we don't miss the season that God's planted us in because of fear of the future or pain in the past? How do we focus on now? And so we're gonna be looking at this over the next couple of weeks. And so today I wanna start by talking about pain or problems from the past. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you to follow along. We're primarily gonna be in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some of the verses that are gonna be on the screen. And I'm gonna tell part of the story. But today I, I really wanna answer the question, now what? And it starts with saying, we want to put the past behind us. We wanna put the past behind us. Psalm 51 is a powerful Psalm. It's written by a guy named David, you know, King David, the same guy that killed Goliath, that same guy. Uh, David was an amazing guy. He really was. He did some amazing things for God. There's a lot of his life where he did so many things well. I mean, he was a great leader. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. He did a lot of things really, really well, but there was a season of his life that he made some awful decisions. There's some seasons in his life where he just blew it. I mean, even though he's a man after God's own heart, even though he was an amazing leader for a lot of his life, there was a season in his life where he lived in full on rebellion and he ran from his past. He ran from it. There's a season in his life where he made a bonehead decision. He didn't stop that series of decisions. He kept living in those decisions. And so he tried to act like it wasn't there. He tried to act like it wasn't a big deal. And in the end, what he discovered is when you don't deal with your past, it becomes your present. When you don't deal with your past and close that chapter of your life, it becomes the present and it shapes your future. It derails your life. And so David had to learn this lesson. So what I wanna do is I wanna tell you his story. And then I wanna point out some ways that you and I can put our past behind us. And it starts with number one, if you wanna write these down. Uh, in the app, we've got the sermon slides and we've got the bulletin and we've got all the announcements, but there are no notes in there today. And so we're going old school, we're going analog. So if you still know how to use a pencil or a pen or mascara or blood or whatever you have, uh, I'm going to invite you to write, write a couple things down. Number one, if we're going to put the past behind us, we must be alert. We must be alert to our capacity of blowing it. We must be alert to our capacity of blowing it. Now, I know that's not a popular way to start a Sunday morning message, is it? <laughs> Nobody's excited about that. They're like, awesome. Point number one, alert to our capacity to blow it. I can't wait to hashtag that. That's awesome. Let's tweet that. That's not one of those positive messages, right? Nobody's going to make a little Instagram picture and repost it a zillion times. We all have the capability, the capacity of blowing it. Awesome. Hashtag Sugar Hill Church. Hashtag uplifting message of the day, right? That's not one of those things that is popular and it's not glamorous, but I would be mistaken to blow past it. See, for David, I think he underestimated his capacity of sin. And I think I do that as well. I think I overestimate my ability to manage sin in my life and I un underestimate my ability of doing something really, really dumb. And so Psalm 51 is David's response to a dumb season of his life, a capacity of making a mistake. There's a verse, you don't have to turn to it, but I'd, I'd invite you to write it down. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is sort of the backstory. This is sort of the context of Psalm 51. It says in 2 Samuel 11 verse 1, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. 
Now, that's one of those verses that would be easy to read past and be easy to read it and just keep moving. But listen to what it says. This is the time of the year when kings go to battle. So there's something that David's supposed to do. This is part of the normal routine. Kings in the spring go to battle, but it says this in the middle of verse one, but David sent Joab and he sent his servants with them and all of Israel and they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. So they went off to battle and then listen to this last phrase in verse one, but David remained. But David remained. David's like, you know what? I, I know that most kings go to battle and I know I'm supposed to go to battle, but I'm the man, I'm the guy in charge. I know this is the time of the year that I should go with my army. I should be the leader. I should be the guy, but I don't wanna go. I'm just gonna stay home. I'm just gonna stay where I'm at. I'm just gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna send Joab. He's a great warrior. He's a great general. He's a great leader. I'm gonna send Joab instead. I'm gonna stay home and do my own thing. And if you know the story, if you want to write it down, it's 1 Samuel chapter, the rest of chapter 11, and then into chapter 12. Here's what happens for David. David's like, I'm the man in charge. I'm the leader. I'm the boss. I'm the guy. I can do whatever I want to. So the story happens in, in 2 Samuel 11. David is up on his rooftop when he shouldn't have been. And he's walking around on the rooftop, and he looks down, and there's a woman named Bathsheba bathing. And so David doesn't look away. David's not embarrassed. He doesn't run. Instead, he stays there and he stares her down and he's like, who is that woman? And so he sends some of his crew, some of his friends, some, some of his entourage over to her place. Or, or, or first, it starts with him just asking, hey, who's that woman? And they're like, that's Bathsheba. That's Uriah's wife. That's Uriah's wife. Hello, she's married. And it was like, yeah, 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 but, but Uriah's off at battle. He's with Joab. He, he's in battle. And so why don't I just have her over? So he has her over. So they have a meal. They hang out and they end up sleeping together. David, the Bible who's, the, who the Bible says has a heart after God, who, who was anointed by God himself as a teenager to be the next king. Now David's like, I'm the man. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want to. I'm not going into battle. I'm going to hang out here. Hey, who's that woman? That's Bathsheba. That's Uriah's wife. And David says, bring her to me. So they hang out. They have a meal. They end up sleeping together and she becomes pregnant. So he finds out that she's pregnant and David's thinking, I can't let anybody know that I'm the one that's the father of this baby. I need to cover it up. Because that's his first response is, how do I keep covering this up? How do I act like this didn't happen? So I'm gonna cover it up. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring her husband home from battle. So Uriah's been in battle. He's been sleeping in foxholes. He's, you know, he's just around a bunch of nasty, dirty guys that have been in battle. And so David thinks if I bring him home from the battle, he's gonna be ready to take a bath, get clean. He's gonna be ready to see his wife. And David's thinking they're gonna sleep together to celebrate that he's home. And so David's thought is, well, they sleep together and he finds out she's pregnant, he'll just assume that the baby is his. The problem is Uriah doesn't go home. Uriah comes home from the battle and David says, why don't you go home? Why don't you hang out with your wife? Why don't y'all have a good time? And what ends up happening is Uriah sleeps on the doorstep of the king's palace. 
Uriah's like, I, I can't go home. I mean, all of my friends, all, all of my brothers in arms, they're still in battle. They're still sleeping in tents. They're still in foxholes. I can't, how could I go home and enjoy my wife while they're still in dark, desperate times? And so his plan backfires. Uriah doesn't go home. And so David's like, all right, what am I gonna do now? How am I gonna make sure I cover this up? And so David comes up with another plan. He's like, all right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna wine and dine Uriah. I'm gonna bring him in. I'm gonna give him a great meal. I'm gonna give him great wine to drink. I'm gonna sort of get him a little tipsy, a little off of his game. And then maybe he'll go home and sleep as a wife. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. So David's like, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna cover this up? How am I gonna make sure nobody finds out about this? How am I gonna deal with this thing? And so he comes up with this plan where he writes a letter. So he writes this letter to the commander of the army and he says to the commander, uh, I want you to put Uriah back in battle. I want you to put her husband back in battle. I want you to put him on the front line in the fiercest part of the battle. And then when the battle is raging, I want you to pull everybody else back. I want you to leave just that guy on the front lines. I want everybody else to back away so that he dies. This is David. This is the guy after God's own heart. This is the guy that when he was a teenager and overlooked by the rest of his family, a prophet came and anointed him to be the king. How could David do something so careless? How could David do something so, so, so wrong? How, how, how could David order the death of an innocent guy? How could David be on the run and act like this wasn't his problem? How could David do that? The same way any of us could do that. I mean, David assumed I can control the sin in my life. David assumed it's not a big deal. David assumed I'm the king, I'm the man, I can do whatever I want to, I can manage it, I can hold it, I can deal with it. And we believe the same thing. We think our sin isn't a big deal. We think, well, I can manage it. I can control it. It's just, a, it's just a flirty conversation, not a big deal. It's just a simple little text message. There's no harm in that. It's just a little Facebook message. What's the big deal? It's just a website I can delete. Why is that such a big deal? And here's the lesson that David learned is that you can't manage your sin that he's no match for sin. He's no match for temptation and neither are we. See, here's what David learned in the middle of his life when he thought he's the man, he's in charge, he's got it together. What David learned is he had this huge capacity to blow it in his life. And so do we. Pastor Chuck says this phrase so often. He says, every single one of us is one step away of doing stupid. I think that's true because we overestimate our ability to fight sin. We overestimate our ability to manage it. We think it's just a glance, it's just a call, it's just a look, it's not a big deal. And here's the lesson that David learned. He had to learn that sin will take you further than you're willing to go. He ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. It'll keep you longer than you're willing to stay. He ends up having Uriah, her husband, killed. It will cost you more than you're willing to pay. What ends up happening is he gets judged, and, he, and one of the ways he's judged is one of his sons tries to overthrow him and take his kingdom away from him. 
at the beginning, it was just fun. Hey, it's just a flirt. It's just a stare. It's not a big deal. And what he learned is it took him further, kept him longer, and it costs him more. Every single one of us has to learn that lesson, that anytime we have an unexpected opportunity coupled with an undetected weakness in our life, we are capable of doing something really awful. It's not fun to talk about. It's not a positive message to start with, but it's so necessary to say if we're going to deal with our past, it starts by knowing we are capable of blowing it, every single one of us. Number two, we need to know that there are consequences when we blow it. We need to be aware that there are consequences when we blow it. So part of dealing with the past is to look at it for what it is, to look at it honestly, to look at it dead on, and to realize that, yes, we're capable of it, and there are consequences when we do it. Listen to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is written by David after he's confronted by his sin. So for about a year, David thinks that he got away with it. For about a year, he thinks he's, it, nobody knows about it. For about a year, he, he, he's covered it up. He thinks nobody's found out, not a big deal. But then in 1 Samuel 12, a prophet named Nathan shows up. 2 Samuel 12, a prophet named Nathan shows up. And when Nathan shows up, he tells David a story, catches him off guard. He says, David, there's these two guys that live next door to each other. One guy has plenty, one guy has barely enough to get by. The guy with plenty has lots of sheep. He's well taken care of. The guy that's barely getting by only has one little lamb. And since that's the only thing that he has, uh, it's like family to him. It's not like an animal. It's not a meal. It's family. And so as he's telling the story, he says, these two guys live next door to each other. One has everything he could ever want. The other guy only has that one little lamb that's like a family member to him. And he tells the story to David. He says, David, uh, the rich guy's family came in town, so he wanted to throw a feast for them. And so instead of taking from his flocks, he took that one little lamb, the only thing that guy had, he took it and killed it and cooked it. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 12 that David got angry. He jumped up from his throne and said, that man must die. That man that took for the guy that only had one little lamb, he needs to pay for it. And then Nathan the prophet looked at David and said, David, you're that guy. David, you're the man. All Uriah had was Bathsheba and you took her. And that painful but honest conversation paved the way for healing in David's life. See, in some ways, messages like this can be painful, but the reason is because it can bring healing. Listen to how David describes this in Psalm 51. Here's how he describes these consequences. He says in verse 1, Have mercy on me. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David's still been on the throne and he's still been in charge and he's still been the leader, but internally he feels a million miles away from God. That's a consequence. There's been hurt in Bathsheba's life. There's hurt in Uriah's life. There's hurt in the nation's life. But David, in the middle of this moment, recognized that he's hurt the heart of God. 
he describes this. He says, verse three, my sin, my transgression, it's ever before me. Verse seven, purge me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He's feeling all these consequences. He feels a million miles away from God. He feels like there's no connection between him and his perfect heavenly father. He feels like his prayers are bouncing off the roof. It feels like he doesn't know what the right thing to do is anymore. And now that he hits rock bottom, he says, God, I need you to clean me. I need you to cleanse me. See, in all of our lives, the only way we're going to get past the past and put it behind us is to realize we're capable of blowing it because if we don't realize that, we're capable of repeating the, the mistakes of our past. Number two, that when we do that, there are consequences where we feel disconnected, we feel far away from God. And, but number three, the positive note of all of this is that yes, we're capable of it, and yes, there are consequences for it, but we can make a comeback. That's good news, that we can make a comeback, that our past doesn't have to be repeated into the present, that our past doesn't have to shape our future, that our past doesn't have to short circuit all that God's doing, that we can make a comeback. So what's the answer? Is the answer trying harder? Is the answer doing more? Is the answer attending more, giving more, serving more? See, the answer to a comeback is not another program. The answer to a comeback is not some, some process that we work through. The answer to making a comeback isn't another principle, another strategy, another process. The answer to the comeback is not a principle, it's a person. See, we're no match for the sin in our life. We're no match for the temptation in our life. We're no match for any of that stuff. And so the answer is not found in ourselves. The answer is not found in, well, I'm gonna try to manage it better. I'm gonna try to stay on top of it. The answer is we have to turn to not a principle, to, but to a person. And this is the way David says it. He says in verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He says in verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Here's David in the middle of this moment saying, God, it is you that I've sinned against. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He'd sinned against Uriah. He'd sinned against Joab, his leader. He'd sinned against the nation. But at the end of the day, the thing that broke David's heart was that he had broken the heart of God. And so there came this moment where he saw God for who he is. He saw himself for who he was, and he stopped making excuses. He stopped trying to gloss over it, and he came clean and said, God, I need you to do what only you can do in my life. He says in verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop is this little plant that was used during times of cleansing. Way back in the book of Exodus, when God says, I'm gonna send this death angel to go through, this angel is going to pass over the doorposts of those that have blood on the doorposts. And so they took this plant, hyssop, and they put the blood over the doorpost to say, this house is covered by the blood of the lamb. 
And then all throughout the Old Testament, during sacrifices, again, they'd use hyssop as a way of part of that worship to say, we need our sins covered. We need our sins dealt with. And so this was a physical item they used as a reminder, we need the blood of the lamb to cover us. And so now David, after being confronted with his past, it's like, God, I have no place else to turn. God, I can't try harder. I can't do better. I've already proved it, that doing it out of my own strength, I blow it. I'm capable of it. I didn't see it in me, but I've always been capable of it. God, I felt the consequences of it. God, I felt disconnected. I felt far. I felt dirty. I, I felt like there's no reason for me to go on even trying. But now, God, I'm coming to you, the only one that can make me clean, the only one that can give me a brand new start the only one that can give me a heart that's white like snow. So this morning, I wanna invite you to pray with me. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads just for a moment. And it could be this morning, you've been dealing with past stuff, sin, some habit, some moment that, that shocked you, and yet you've been trying to ignore it. Could it be this morning that God's saying, I want you to live now and the way that you live now is by putting the past behind you. And the way that you put the past behind you is to come to the one that can cover it. If you're a believer, would you just say, dear Jesus, I confess that I've sinned against you. Would you make me clean today? Maybe this morning you don't know Christ personally. There's never been a moment that you've truly trusted him. And maybe somewhere during this morning, a light bulb went on in your soul. Something stirred in your heart where you're like, I need that. I need the only one that can forgive me. Would you pray this part of the prayer with me? Would you just say, dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And that my sin separates me from you. but I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and make me clean. We don't need another program today. We don't even need another Bible study, small group, our only answer is a person. The only answer is to allow the one who died in our place to cover us. Dear Jesus, would you remind us that you're our answer. You're our hope. You're the only way for us to move out of the past and live now. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.